time to take the next step with Looney Libis. Step 33, incorporation. A common question I get asked by entrepreneurs is when do I need to incorporate? When do I need a company? And the answer is simple. You need a company as soon as you have either customers or investors or anyone else who's outside the company that you're interacting with who could potentially sue you. And the reason for that answer is the actual purpose of having a corporation. And that's an idea called limited liability. So if you're unaware, if you've never heard this before, the purpose of a company is to have a group of people work together where their actions are not their personal actions. It's the collective action of that group. And so what that means in real life is that once a corporation is acting, once you're hiring people or delivering products or taking money from investors, and you do something that harms those people, not purposefully harms them, but accidentally harms them, well, then you personally, as a member of that company, you can't lose your wealth. If you purposely go and hurt someone, sure, then they can sue you as a person. But if you're doing it as a company, if a company has sold a product and it accidentally doesn't do what it's supposed to do, or you've taken money from an investor and you don't pay it back to them because you fail, well, then the customers or the investors, they can sue the company. And the company is liable for its actions, just like a person would be. But the people who run the company are not liable for the actions of the company as long as they're not trying to do harm. We call that limited liability. And the same thing flows through to the investors. The only reason an investor would turn and give you money for your company is because if you do something to harm one of your customers, that investor's personal wealth is not at risk. They are limited partners. They are limited in their liability through the company. And so that's the purpose of incorporation, is to grab hold of this deal with the government called limited liability. So if you're out there with an idea and you're just talking to people about what you might do, and even if you're following the lean startup model and you're actually trying to sell them on this idea but not taking their money yet, well, then you don't need a company. Same thing on the investor side. If you're talking to people to see if they're interested in investing in your, quote, company, you still don't need a company until they say yes. So when that moment of time comes that money is going to change hand, well, before you take that money, you need to incorporate. And then the next question I get asked is, well, how do you do that? And for that, well, that's when you hire your startup lawyer. Now, here in Seattle, there's a ton of startup lawyers. There are lawyers that do nothing but work with startups. And when you go find a reputable lawyer, what they'll do is they'll give you the startup package. And the startup package might be two, $3,000. And it includes incorporation. It includes all the setup of your board of directors, a shareholders agreement, maybe an options agreement, kind of all the pieces you need to get going with your company. Which brings us to the third question, which is, what are lawyers for? What, what is their role? And here's where my advice will, will probably differ from other mentors. What I'll say is that lawyers hold just two roles in a company, two important roles, but just two roles. One, they exist to tell you what the rules are. They're there to explain to you what the securities rules are and the hiring rules and, and any other regulations that might affect your company. So you're expected to know what those rules are. You're expected to follow those regulations. But you know what? The, the governments don't do a good job of telling entrepreneurs what those rules are. Instead, it's the lawyer's job to understand what they are and to advise you to make sure that you are following each and every one of those regulations to the best of your ability. 
And the second thing the lawyers are good at and should do, and you should listen to them, is about risks. So the more you work with lawyers, the more you will find that they sound a lot like pessimists. They, they, they're kind of the anti-entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs tend to be optimists. Lawyers will tell you for anything you want to do why you shouldn't do it. And it's not, just be clear, it's not that they're trying to talk you out of it. They are trying to lay out for you what the risks are in taking any decision. And so when you say, I want to hire these people, they'll tell you the, the risks associated with hiring people. And when you say, I want to do a contract with this company, well, their job is to figure out what might go wrong in that contract and make sure those pieces are included in the contract. And when you want to go raise money, they should tell you the risks involved in raising money and the risks involved in, in interacting with investors and so forth. That's their job. Their job is to lay out risks for you. Now, what you should not do with lawyers, which a lot of first-time entrepreneurs do, is ask them for business advice. So just to be clear, crystal clear, these people did not go to business school. They chose a different path. They chose to go to law school. And in law school, they were taught the regulations and they were taught to, to systematically figure out the risks, but they were not taught the business aspects of how to make a business. They were taught how to protect businesses from taking undue risks. And so too often what happens is that the lawyer who tends to be a smart person, and I'm not saying advice is bad, as I've seen in my business accelerator, when you get stuck, when you have a big problem in front of you, if you can go get five or six or seven different opinions, that can help. But what you should not be doing is paying hundreds of dollars per hour to a lawyer to be giving you that advice. That's not their role. Their role, again, is to keep you legal, to make sure you're not breaking any laws or breaking any regulations, and to advise you on the risks that you've chosen to take. And this doesn't always show up in the boardroom. Sometimes this shows up in the midst of a negotiation. So when you're trying to paper a deal, as we would say, when you're trying to write a contract or negotiate a contract with a customer, well, that's a good place to have your lawyer involved. But what you want to do is you want to negotiate the terms with the customer. And maybe while that's going on, you may want to bounce some of these ideas off your lawyer to make sure, again, you're compliant and you're not taking undue risk. But what you don't want to do is have your lawyer in the room at all times during these negotiations because they will give you advice at that point. And unless that advice is about risks, then it's business advice. And again, they are not the best people at giving business advice in general. Now, I, I know plenty of lawyers who are, in fact, great entrepreneurs. But in general, you should really think about it as two separate sets of advisors. You should have one set of advisors where you turn for business advice, and then a second set of advisors, including your lawyer, to worry about compliance and risk. And it may sound like I'm repeating myself here, but I have seen this taken to the extreme where a first-time entrepreneur who did not feel comfortable in doing the negotiations simply handed off the entire contract process to their lawyer. And their lawyer talked to the lawyer of the other side of the negotiation. And then you just have lawyers talking to lawyers racking up way too many billable hours. And even if your lawyer, for some reason, is giving you discount or free time, that's just not the way you're going to learn how to do this. And if you're going to be a successful business person, you are going to deal with a lot of contracts in the next 10, 20, 30 years. So this is a skill that you need to learn how to do. And the way I learned how to do it was to spend one extra billable hour at the end of the process. I would take the contract. I would read through it in detail. And every place where I didn't understand what the legalese meant, 
that I would ask my lawyer to please explain what it means, why it's there, is it necessary, what risk is it protecting us against, and so forth. And so after years of doing that and dozens of contracts, now 99% of the time I can read a contract and I can understand the legalese that's in there, and I no longer have to go out and ask the lawyer each and every time a contract comes in. And lastly, I get asked about what structure your company should be incorporated in, because there's a few different choices. And these days, for some reason, the startup lawyers have fixated on the idea of starting your company as an LLC, as a limited liability company, which here in the U.S. really means a corporate partnership as opposed to a standalone corporation. And somehow this shift happened in the last 10 or 15 years, and I don't understand why it happened. Because if you're starting a company that will eventually go out and raise money from outsiders, that's the wrong choice. If you're going to raise money from investors, what you want is something that here in the States we would call a C-corporation, a real corporation, a corporation that stands on its own, that's taxed on its own, that only pays taxes when it makes profits, that does not pass on those taxes to its owners. That is the correct structure for a scalable, investable company. And an LLC is a great structure if you're building a fund or if you're never going to get outside money or if you're going to have a small partnership with two or three of you and absolutely never will raise money from outsiders. And since I work with socially and environmentally conscious companies, I got to tack on that there's a third choice and it's the benefit corporation or sometimes called the public benefit corporation or here in, in my home state, it's the social purpose corporation. And it's really just a C corp with a few extra bells and whistles. It it's a C-corp that allows the company to state that it exists not just to make money, but to solve some social or environmental problem. And that's all you really need to know about startup law to get started. Next week, we'll talk about something else. Until then.